Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, this is Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm here, your host, and I'm a psychologist, and I do the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. And here on this podcast, I invite people who have somewhere in their lifetime have experienced either a reluctance or a fear about speaking up in public. And because of the people that I've invited, they seem to be really well accomplished by now. And so they have a great story. They not only tell what was so difficult starting out early in life, usually, to what is so wonderful now that they have a voice and what they get to offer, what their gift is now that they found their voice. And today, I'm going to introduce you to Todd Churches, who's a CEO and co-founder of a New York City-based executive coaching firm, and it's called Big Blue Gumball. Big Blue Gumball. Oh, wow. What a name. We're going to have to hear a little bit about that, Todd. And he's a three-time award-winning adjunct professor of leadership at NYU and Columbia University a member of Marshall Goldsmith's MG 100 Coaches. Todd is a TEDx speaker and author of Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life. Ooh, that's very powerful. I I love reading that. A lot of Vs, but I am getting through this, aren't I? Mm -hmm. Uh He's a a pioneer in the application of visual thinking to the practice of leadership. And Todd has recently been named by Thinkers 50 as a finalist for their 2021 Distinguished Thinkers Award in Leadership and is ranked number 35 on the top 50 thought leaders and influencers in the field of management. Wow, you must have really started out as uh, something where you didn't have a voice because now you certainly are somebody who offers this world of ours so much. And uh, from what I've just read, I really want to hear more, though, where we start with what happened early on for you, Todd. I know you gave me some some information, and it and it feels like you've had a journey. So let's let's go. Thanks, Todd, for being here. Sure. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, when I read that and hear that bio, it's a little bit of imposter syndrome. When I think back to who I was and where I was as recently as 20 years ago. So um, definitely a late bloomer, always very shy as a kid, like the shy, studious kid. I always said I was a, looking back, I always said I was a, I'm a, I was a three B's guy, a back of the room behind the scenes bookworm. That's my natural default. So in classes, I'm six foot four, and I was always one of the tallest kids in my class, but I always try to slink down and hide myself. I always try to sit in the back row, stand in the back row or sit in the back in classes. I was never out in front, never raised my hand. In fact, in my NYU class, um, I have my students speak within the first five to 10 minutes, and I say to them, you now have just all spoken more than I spoke in all my years of junior high school, high school, 
undergrad and graduate school because I never once spoke in class or got up in front of a room. A um, couple of times I was forced to stand up for a couple of minutes, but I never raised my hand once. If I was called upon, that was one thing, but I never would volunteer to, to speak up or speak out. Um, and that continued through my early years of my career until I finally you know, uh, changed that. But um, very shy. I was even sh shy answering the phone. My mother would say, Todd, can you answer the phone when the phone would ring? And I would run to the, the other room. So I have to go to the bathroom or I'm busy just to avoid answering the phone. I mean, that's how shy I was. I couldn't even speak on the phone. If I knew who it was, my grandparents or whatever, it would be fine. But the thought of picking up the phone and not knowing who it was and talking to a stranger, I found really uncomfortable and intimidating. So I always try to avoid that. Uh, and same thing with kids around other kids. I was very shy and introvert. I had my few close friends, but anytime I was around strangers, I really went into a shell and just tried to hide. Well, that shell that you're talking about and hiding, I think that people learn to do that pretty early in life. And it might have been your nature to be a little more introverted than to be, hey, look at me world. <laughs> but what I think the problem is, is that people continue to see that as their identity. You know, yes, I'm shy. And I know that a lot of people that come to me say, well, I've always been shy. And that always been shy seems to be an excuse. But for you, it wasn't an excuse because look at you now. Yeah, but yeah. I'd like to go back to when you say something like, ah, I don't want to answer the phone. What was the fear? Do you have a sense of what, what you were avoiding? I would say I would use FDR's quote, the only thing to fear was fear itself. There was really nothing I was, you know, I wasn't scared of saying the wrong thing or being embarrassed, or I had a little bit of a stutter, um, just a slight one, but I probably magnified it in my own mind, but I would stutter like that when I got nervous. Or, um, But there really was no reason other than um, I just, I, I never felt like I was always a follower as opposed to a leader as a kid. Um, you know, quiet, polite, parents loved me because I never got into trouble. I never caused a ruckus or made noise. So unlike some of the other kids in the neighborhood or my parents' friends' kids, um, like Todd's the little angel, the perfect child kind of thing. And I just, I would rather just sit and read and watch TV and talk to one or two people. I was never the type to like, just go out and, you know, among a group of kids or, um, yeah, I played sports. I played basketball um, and, and, and little league baseball, but I always felt co more comfortable when I was playing than like before or after the game, when you're just mingling around. So I always felt uncomfortable. And even to this day, when I'm around strangers, you know, people I don't know, I prefer the activity where I feel comfortable as opposed to that awkward time either before or after. And even now, when I this weekend, I have a number of social events I'm going to. Um, I'm getting already getting a little pre-anxious. I'll be fine, but I always have those jitters of just before walking into a room. I literally have to kind of force myself to do it even to this day. So the old you know, childhood or teen feelings still is there inside. I just overcome it, you know, on a, when, when I have to. Yeah. You, you just used a phrase. I haven't heard it said that way. Did you say free anxiety? Uh, no, I didn't say, I didn't say free. I, when I feel, you know, when I feel pre, I said pre-anxiety. The anxiety. Pre-P-R-E-E. P-R-E-E. -E. Oh, -E. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Pre-anxiety. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Here you are so accomplished and yet you still have a little bit of those jitters and you're aware of it, but it doesn't, what I hear now is that you don't get afraid. And so when you said 
the quote from FDR, it's like fear of fear. It's like, okay, so a little bit of fear, it's a little bit of rattling that's going on in your body, but it doesn't scare you anymore. Right. It doesn't keep me from doing things. My wife, who's been an actress for many years now, she's more of a, she's a casting director. She's produced off Broadway plays, but she has the same thing. She is amazing on stage, but going from backstage to onstage might as well be a hundred miles because her cast members literally need to push her out there. And once she's out there, she's fine. And I have this similar kind of thing. It's like that behind the scenes. Once I'm out there, I'm fine. In fact, when I'm in a classroom or training, I am much more comfortable being in front of the room than I am taking someone else's workshop and sitting uh, in the class because then those old feelings come back of being you know, in the class or are they going to call on me kind of thing. So it's interesting how some of those things stay with you. Again, I don't let it keep me from doing things, but those feelings are still there from, you know, from 40 plus years ago. I'm so glad you're pointing to that as an accomplished person and people listening to this podcast can say, hey, that's normal. That's natural. It's just the body doing its thing. And I've also heard that it's the anxiety and excitement. You've probably heard that are the same kind of physiological dynamic. And so, you know, it's it feels like, well, Todd's excited. He's yeah. about to step into a big role there in front of however many people and delivering his expertise. I also learned that being an introvert is not just being shy. It's about where your energy comes from. It took me a while to learn more about introversion and extroversion. So I enjoy being around other people, but if I have to do it for too long, it drains my energy and I need to like some solitary time. So I would say like, if I had to choose, I'd, like, I'd prefer to spend 70% of my time alone, writing, researching, designing, all that kind of stuff, and maybe 30% with other people. I have friends who are the exact opposite. If they're not around other people 90% of the time, they're jumping out of their skin. So I think we're just all different. So it's about where our energy comes from and where our comfort level is. Well, what you just pointed to also is having insight and awareness of who you are, and that way you can keep yourself more balanced and make the if you're going to be speaking in front of people a lot easier for yourself if you don't overdo it or if you underdo it either way it sounds like yeah in fact i've done in the last three days i've done four podcast interviews done two two webinars yesterday including one for two thousand people globally and i did a two-hour session today so after our podcast i'm shutting down for the weekend and although i have some social events to go to but it was like one of those weeks where i was out and around other people a lot. So I had to keep my energy up and, and my, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm doing it, I'm fine. But afterwards you sometimes just need to collapse. And, and uh, one of the, we just got to put here, I have to put her on the ground because she's getting physical. This is, this is Lucy, our puppy who just turned one. So she's definitely a source of stress release and a uh, nice break in between meetings and everything just to, uh, to spend some time with her, but she's on the floor now. So. Yes. Well, for those who are listening, Todd just uh, introduced us to, what is her name? Lucy. She's a Lucy. little Havanese one-year-old puppy. Yes. yes. Oh, boy. She's adorable. How fun. How fun. Yeah. Well, you also are pointing to, before we get into the beginning, the aha moment, or was it over a number of months or years where you helped yourself find your voice? But first, I'd like to just go back a little bit in terms of were you, where were you on the birth order? I'm the oldest uh, of two. The Five oldest years older. of two. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, did your sibling have a different kind of personality? Yeah, he was definitely more extroverted and more 
comfortable around other people. And he, he still is to this day. He could talk to anyone. And so my, my father was very, he, my father was very much an extrovert. He would talk to anyone and show general, you know, like, like Dale Carnegie would say, be more interested than interesting. So he was always interested in talking to people. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I felt, you know, you're, you, when you're a kid, you get embarrassed by your parents a lot of the time. So my father would say, Todd, come over here and meet so-and-so. And I was like, no, I don't feel like meeting one more person. So my father wanted to meet everyone. He wouldn't leave a party until he met and talked to everyone. For me, I was always the last one to get somewhere and the first one to leave. So again, part of it is genetics. Part of it is, is you know, just who we are and how we are as people. But I was always a little in awe and uh, envious of people who were so comfortable around other people that they could just make conversation with anyone. Uh-huh. What a sandwich between your father <laughs> and your brother. And, yeah, yeah. And, and my mother was somewhere in the middle. My mother was somewhere where she was, you know, more of an, probably introvert, but she was, she was comfortable around other people too. But, you know, a couple of stories, one, um, one of them I tell in my, in my book, my Seinfeld story called No Shirt for You. I went to a taping of Seinfeld when I first moved to LA and um, I was sitting in the audience and in between scenes, they throw out trivia questions and you can win a shirt if you get the right answer. So they asked the question, what is Elaine's middle name? Elaine Bennis, what is her middle name? And I was obsessed with Seinfeld. So I knew it was Marie. And yet I couldn't say it. I couldn't raise my hand and, or shout it out. So people in the audience who didn't know, the, they were just yelling out the wrong answer. And I knew the right answer. And I didn't have the courage and confidence just to say, it was like, was I scared of being wrong in front of strangers? Like, what was my reason for holding back? And time ran out. No one got it. He said it was Marie and no one got the t-shirt. So to this day, um, that's my Seinfeld t-shirt story. To this day, you know, what held me back from just yelling out what I knew was, I was 99% sure I had the right answer. And yet I didn't have the confidence and the courage to shout it out amongst a group of strangers. So that was just one example of how even in my what, early 30s, I still had that fear of speaking out in front of a group. So um, again, I like the, the two words you just used, courage and confidence yeah. and courage to just shout out the name. And I think that if you had, it seems like all eyes would be on you. You'd have to go up to the front of the room and gather your gift. And uh, it's something just neurologically, the body, when it doesn't want to get up in front of people, just won't let you. There's a there's a way there's 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 a a madness to these our systems that say no. Don't go. <laughs> you said and you we, had another we story. It in retrospect, but in, in the moment, it was like like the minutes after, like what? That was so stupid. Why didn't I just shout it out? I had nothing to lose and everything to gain, and yet I still couldn't push myself to to do it. Well, you know, that's what I hear a lot from people where the front, frontal brain says, "Well, there isn't anything to be afraid of," mm-hmm. but the back brain, because the neurologists have really found that there are different wiring systems. You might have already explored that and know that, but the frontal and the back part of the brain, just the anxiety that shows up in the back is you can't control it with your mind sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's that flight, fight, or fear, right? The amygdala kind of. Uh, yes, the rolling. amygdala. Yes. Yeah. You're hijacked by the amygdala. People I work with say, but you said you had another story. Yeah. Well, another time um, when I first moved out to LA, my parents dropped me. um, First of all, that was the hardest thing I've ever done was to pack my bags in New York and move out to LA without any contacts, no job, no money. I just was pursuing my dream of working in the TV industry, which is something I wanted to do for a long time. So that was really hard to move all the way across country. And so my parents dropped me off at JFK airport. 
I'm walking onto the plane and there's a gentleman blocking the aisle in first class. And my dream was to work for NBC. I was obsessed with NBC. And who was this person? It was Grant Tinker, the CEO of NBC. So I'm on the plane moving out to LA and the CEO of NBC is on the plane in first class. So that whole flight, I was sitting there in coach all the way in the back near the bathrooms saying, should I talk to him? Should I not talk to him? So I kept going up to the curtain and going back to my seat. I did that for like four hours. And then finally, we're about an hour before landing. I said, if I don't do this, I'm going to kick myself for the rest of my life. You don't have an opportunity like this too often. So I don't know what gave me the courage and the confidence, but I forced myself to walk through that first class curtain. I said, excuse me, Mr. Tinker. And I just started rambling. I said, I was an intern at NBC last year. My dream was to work in television. I love NBC. Can I talk to you for a second? Do you have any advice for me? And he actually got up from his aisle seat, not to hit me, but to move over to the window seat. And he said, sure, have a seat. And he said, do you want something to drink? He got me a Diet Coke from the from the, the flight attendant. So there I am, I'm 24 years old, sitting in first class with the CEO of NBC. And it's like, and he was so nice. He gave me some advice. He gave me his card and he said, call my secretary and she'll get set up some meetings for you. He said, I probably won't be able to talk to you, but good luck. Um, so just the fact, there's so many leadership lessons there. One, that he was so generous to do that. Um, and two, that the fact that I, that, I don't know how, what gave me the confidence to do it, but I forced myself to take that risk. Now, I didn't get a job at NBC, but I got a number of interviews that kind of led to other things. So, And it gave me, it confirmed that I was doing the right thing. And so just, again, that was one story of pushing myself well out of my comfort zone. And I'm still thinking about that. And, and his, uh, you know, his, so now when people reach out to me, can I pick your brain? Or can I talk to you? I always flash back on my Grand Tinker story. And, uh, and try to be the kind of leader that, that he was, generous and, and, uh, and, and empathetic and caring. Yeah, I think that's one lesson people can take from listening to you today. But also uh, that whole image, I can see it on a TV program of a <laughs> curtain and the young boy in the back and, you know, four or five times, dozen times going up to the curtain, turning right. around. And then it's so it's so it's such a metaphor you know going uh through the threshold past the curtain to what's behind the curtain and thank you that seems to be something that people can take with them today about how to just move yourself past the curtain mm. i told you know, dale Carnegie wrote a book called who wrote how to win friends and influence people another one of his books was called a called how to stop worrying and start li uh, living and one of his mantras is think about what's the worst that could happen envision the worst happening, think about what are the odds of the worst happening. It's very rare that the worst happens and then you work from there, right? So the worst thing that happens is someone says no and you feel rejected for a minute, but think about you know risk reward, what you can gain versus that moment of rejection that you might face. So it's like, I'm always thinking that even to this day, what's the worst that could happen if you try something? Um, my mother used to say that with like trying new foods, try it. The worst thing that happens is you hate it and you spit it out into a napkin, right? But you may actually like it. So just having that, um, you know, I was non, I was very risk averse. So just trying things, whether it was meeting new people or trying new things was always pushing myself out of my comfort zone. But I always channel my mother saying the worst thing that happens is you, you hate it. You spit it out, you, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, so if your motto is I never try anything I haven't tried before, it's a little limiting, right? So yeah. we need to kind of open up the world of possibilities. Yeah, the risk averse. And I think that's partly that's going to play today with people who are afraid of speaking is that they're afraid to take that risk. And they would be calling themselves risk adversive. And you're 
your suggestion of what's the worst thing that could happen, facing that, maybe making a list of those worst things that could happen, and maybe even having strategies. So if this happens, then what? Good. Well, I I get that you walked through that curtain and you faced, (laughs) actually, it turned out to be a good story, but uh, was there, how did you find, what's the process of finding your voice, would you say? Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things I say to people, because I teach leadership and I do presentation skills, training and coaching, and part of it is envisioning what it's like to be up there on stage. So I did my TED Talk a couple of years ago. I actually got a red bath mat, and I would practice on that red bath mat just to envision myself standing on the red circular rug that they have for TED Talks. Just So so you want to picture yourself doing that. So that's part of the visual thinking approach is actually envisioning yourself in a certain situation and picturing an ideal outcome. Um, But in terms of public speaking, it took me many years. I took a job after my 10 years in LA, moved back to New York. I took a job with a major training company and I was in charge of designing leadership programs, but I never delivered them. They were always delivered by like, um, you know, the, the, the trainers. So one time we were doing a leadership training program for 12 CEOs in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I got there the day before to set up and everything else. And the morning of the the, uh, three-day workshop, um, I got a call, a message from the the trainer saying that he got sick, he missed his flight the night before and wouldn't be there till the next day or the end of that day. So I called my boss back in New York and I said, what do I do? I have this group of 12 CEOs. And he said, well, we have two choices. We refund everyone's money and it's completely embarrassing. It's going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars or you have to do it. And I was like, I almost fainted on the phone right there. I was like, what I have to do? He said, what's the problem? You know the content, just get up there and do it. And I did know the content because I designed it, but I was terrified of public speaking and terrible at public speaking. And he expected me to get up in front of a group of 12 CEOs to train them in leadership. I'm like, are you crazy? But you know what? I got up there that morning. I told them the situation. And one of the CEOs said, what are we going to do to help our friend Todd here get through this day? And I it was such a relief. Talk about leadership again. And what happened was I did the workshop. They knew because my boss said, don't let them know that you're not the trainer. But to me, that was insincere, ingenuous. And, and that's just... It never would have worked. So I did the exact opposite of what he told me to do. I told them the situation and they basically got me through that day. And the irony of at the end of that day, I realized I wasn't that bad at it and I actually didn't hate it. And actually, when I found out the trainer was there and would be there the next day, I actually felt a little bad. So I actually wanted to do the second day at that point. So again, had I not been pushed off the end of the diving board into the water, I never would have raised my hand and voluntarily done that. But given no other choice, I stepped up and, you know, I didn't do too bad. So that was the first time I ever actually spoke in public. Um, and that's what I do today. But that was my first time dipping my toe into that water. Oh, it, it was more than dipping. <laughs> like yeah. you said, it was diving. Being plunged, being plunged <laughs> off the high diving board. It was a plunge for sure. Well, a couple of things that you said today I get is that uh, for both of the incidences, it feels like the spontaneity was important in you, uh, like just going past the curtain. Hello, mister, I'm I'm an intern or I've been an intern. Can we have a chat? Or just being thrown, hello, folks, I'm this is who I am. So a couple of things, then you being naturally who you are and admitting that, Admitting that I'm not, uh, you know, you didn't take on the imposter role. Yeah. You didn't say, hey, I'm here to be your trainer today. And boy, yeah. do I know this stuff. 
But in all so far, it feels like what I'm taking with me today is your ability to be spontaneous and in the moment is one of your gifts. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, it's it's kind of like if you have to think about if you overthink something, you get that over analysis paralysis and you never do it. So as you're 100% right that if I wasn't thrown in to those situations and didn't have time to if I had too much time to think about it, I probably wouldn't have done it. So it really was. Um, and I have one other situation a few years later after 9-11, I was not working and New York was kind of in a depression. I needed something to get out of the house and do something productive. So I signed up for a public speaking course and it was actually a Dale Carnegie training course. Um, and I went to the a free event and then I went to the, the full program. And at the break of day one, I said, this is not for me. I was so, I didn't love the instructor. I was terrified because everyone was going to have to speak after the break. So after the break, before the break, I actually took my bag and my coat and I was going to leave. I actually took the elevator down to the lobby and I called us, you know, go in or go home. And I was going to go home, but then I had to use the restroom. So I went back up to that floor, used the restroom. They were calling everyone back into the room. They shut the door. I looked through that little porthole and I said, if I go home, I'm just going to go home and watch TV. I wasn't dating anyone at the time. I was single. I was like, I'm just going to go home and watch TV. If I go back in, what, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I can always leave if I have to, you know, before I speak. Anyway, I forced myself to go in and the rest was history. Not only did I speak, but I became a class coach. I became a certified Dale Carnegie trainer a year later. Um, that's what launched my whole leadership training career. Um, and that's what led to my doing management leadership training, becoming the head of leadership development for a Wall Street company, led to my teaching at NYU and Columbia. So just that one picture me looking through that porthole saying, do I go in or do I go home? And I went in and that changed everything. Because I often think back on, it's like Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. You have those two yeah. roads diverging in a yellow wood. You pick one path and you think, what would have happened if I went down the other path? If I had gone home that day, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Because everything that followed led literally from my going back into that room and becoming trained and developing the skills and the confidence to do public speaking. So that's my story of how what that what led me down to the down the path of, of what I do today. Oh, there you go again. Another phrase. It sounds like the title of a book. Go home or go in. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you. I can see why you do use visual thinking in your work, because it seems like what you're saying is if you overthink it something, then it can stop you. And that's what I'm hoping listeners will get today is something more about that moment, the moments that you've pointed to today, just where that that thrust into the next now that you don't know what's going to happen. It's not like you you had a goal. It's just like, I'm just going to step. And I think that's what I, I'm taking with me today also is just, just move yourself from the back of the plane to the front of the plane, yeah. from outside the door to inside the room. And there you go. Yeah. Taha, this is wonderful. Any, any last words you'd like to say? And I for sure want to give people some way to get a hold of you. So those would be something that I'd like sure, you to sure. Well, first of all, you did a nice job of connecting the dots between those th three stories. So it really is like if you overthink things, it's easy to not do it. But if you just push yourself and, you know, our comfort, I always call, call it going from the comfort zone to the zone of the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen in a bad way, but also in a good way. Right. So think about all of your successes, all the times that you took a leap or took a risk or took a chance or spoke to someone um, 
you know, just meeting people. Like that's the, there's the saying that all our friends were strangers at one point, right? <laughs> so at some point you had to have that initial conversation. You have to, you know, put yourself out there. So that's what I'd say is think about the worst that could happen just as Dale Carnegie did. Realize the worst very rarely happens, but think about the best that could happen and you just never know what might happen. So. How do people find you, Todd? The two best ways is go to my website, toddchurches.com and check out my TED Talk, which is right there on the homepage. If you want to see how my uh, my TED Talk uh, came out of um, uh, all of the, the stories I told today. And also feel free to link in with me. Just say you saw me on Doreen's show and send me a note, connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, happy to continue the conversation with everyone. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Doreen. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person Doreen interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and will return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.